Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Just a couple of years after Betsy and I were first married, we went on a trip together. It was a pastor's conference, our church, church denomination's annual retreat for pastor. This particular year, the location was at Myrtle Beach, and we opted to fly to the destination rather than drive. Betsy was excited because she had never flown before, but she was also nervous. Betsy does not do heights very well at all. This was something I learned at a previous trip to Cedar Point Amusement Park earlier that year. Now, neither one of us liked roller coasters, but we knew our youth group at our church wanted to have a fun day, so we thought, well, let's go do this. I can handle a few roller coasters, but Betsy, not so much. She tried to challenge her fears uh, of riding on a roller coaster by riding on the mine ride. And the mine ride, you may know, is the tamest roller coaster in the whole park. So there we are in our roller coaster car. The safety bar is lowering down into position, locking us safely in place. The ride attendant was running through their speech about how the ride works, how long it would take, and safety precautions. And then Betsy began to yell that she must get off the ride. It was at that moment that time slowed down. I had no idea you could ask to get off the ride after they had you strapped in and ready to go. It turns out that if you're persistent and earnest enough, they will let you off a ride, and that is what happened. Now, back to Betsy's first airplane ride. We took our seats, and Betsy was getting antsy. She explored the flight packet that was in the pocket of the seat, and she was ready with the barf bag in one hand and the emergency instruction leaflet in the other hand. The plane hadn't even finished boarding yet. When the flight attendants went through the safety protocols, Betsy was the only person paying attention, and she was taking notes. While the plane was still boarding, I could see that Betsy was getting nervous, and I recalled our incident on the mine ride, and I thought to myself, if Betsy decides she cannot do this and demands to get off the plane, this might not go well. It's one thing to get off the mine ride at an amusement park. It's another thing altogether to demand to get off an airplane in a post-9-11 world. I looked at her and said, this is not Cedar Point. We cannot get off the plane. We do not have alternatives planned on how to get to our destination. Getting off the plane is not an option. Looking back, I now know that it was not the most comforting thing that I could have said. But as I said those words, I could see Betsy gaining some resolve. And then it happened. Because Betsy was looking for a sign from God that the airplane was not going to crash in a ball of fire. And she got her sign. A pastor from one of the largest churches in our denomination boarded the plane, and Betsy thought to herself, he's important. What are the chances something's going to happen to this plane? And then one of the superintendents of our denomination got on the plane, and she felt even better. Finally, the president of our denomination's university boarded the plane, and Betsy looked over at me and smiled and said, no worries, there's no way that God is going to let this plane go down. She ended up enjoying that first flight a whole lot. For Betsy... Who was on that plane mattered. And in our story of the disciples in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, who was on the boat mattered. Betsy has recalled that first plane flight many times over the years. Yes, we think that God put those people there on the plane to bring her a bit of comfort. But perhaps she was putting her faith in the importance of others rather than simply in the hand of God. Our story today shows us that the stress of storms reveals where and who we put our faith in. Our text today bears two important questions. Where is your faith? And who is this? Faith must be put in Jesus, and we must understand who Jesus is as the one who can calm the storm, the Son of God. 
Let's read our text today. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This story shows up often in the Gospels, three times, in fact. You can find it, and I'll give you the references here, uh, in different places, in different versions, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and what we read today in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. You might find it beneficial to read all three of these accounts back to back to back and see what details are the same and what details are emphasized differently. For instance, in Matthew, the disciples cry out a desperate, Lord, save us! And in Mark, they give what I feel is a more angry and desperate response, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And then in Luke, we read the words, Master, Master, we are going to drown. All three are responses that can be given at the same moment in stress, one after another. Each of these three responses tells us different things about the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was. Matthew's, Lord, save us, is perhaps the brightest of the three. It shows that they know that Jesus can save them from the storm. Mark's is perhaps the darkest response, and it is one that I believe anyone feels when they pass through a turbulent, dark storm. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? The disciples are doubting that they are even important to Jesus, that he cares about them at all, that he cares about their fears or their pain. Perhaps that's where you are today. We're all traveling through this pandemic, and it's certainly a storm, but you may be experiencing another storm in your life, and it's natural to have this doubtful response to Jesus, but we cannot stay there. Luke's response is perhaps the most uneventful. Master, master, we are going to drown. Now, you might read that statement as a plea for help, but it is really, truly just a statement. It's a statement of the reality that the disciples saw before them. We are going to drown. And this fits well with Jesus' question, where is your faith? The disciples have shown their faith is not in Jesus yet, not the way it should be. All they can say is, we're going to drown. It seems like storms of the Sea of Galilee happen all the time in the Gospels. And really, as we have already seen, this particular story is repeated three times. But you might also recall a few weeks ago that we read another story about Jesus walking on water. It was a different incident where the disciples struggled on the Sea of Galilee all night against the wind and the waves while Jesus stayed on shore to pray. This story is also told three times, and you can read that story in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56, and John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. Storms happen frequently in Galilee, and the tumults of our lives happen frequently as well. Where do these storms come from? I would say this, storms of life have natural sources, they sometimes are a test, and they might be the result of our heading into danger. I want to talk about these sources of where storms come from for a few moments here. First, let us be reminded that storms happen naturally. 
Storms are common on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet up below sea level, and in addition, there's a mountain range along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So even though the Sea of Galilee is below sea level, these mountains go way above sea level. And so there's cool air in the tops of these mountains, and it begins to make its way from way above sea level to way below, 700 feet below sea level. By the time it gets to the bottom, this cold air is a rushing torrent, and this air hits the hot desert air, and storms erupt almost out of nowhere on the sea. These storms are dangerous, even for the most experienced of sailors and fishermen. Make no mistake, by all measure of human understanding, the disciples in the boat were in great danger. Certainly, physical storms have natural origins, but the storms of life that we face often also have a natural origin. At least that's what I call it. Our world has been changed by sin. It is broken and fallen, and the many stresses we feel, the storms we experience, are often the result of this brokenness. The loss of a loved one, the failure of a dream, the loss of a job, accidents that happen, whatever pains that you feel and stresses you experience might simply be the natural result of this broken world. Often in an effort to find significance or an explanation, we ask ourselves, why did God let this happen? I think in most cases, God does, God does not want us to experience the heartache and pain that we do experience. It simply comes from a natural source. In these moments, God is reaching out to us, wanting us to grab onto him, not to blame him. So storms can happen naturally. But secondly, storms often happen because they are a test. Sometimes God gives us these stresses and storms to test us. It is in the storm that we are most vulnerable. And so we must be honest about who and what we put our faith into. It's very interesting. The Sea of Galilee is where a lot of Jesus' ministry activity happens. But the stories that involve the sea directly usually are about the disciples. Each encounter moves them a step forward in their understanding of who Jesus is. In Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, we read one of these first stories. It's a story about Jesus calling the disciples, some of the very first disciples. Simon Peter is there, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are there. They've been out all night on the Sea of Galilee, and they have not caught a thing. And that is a storm in itself, not being able to make a living. And Jesus performs a miracle, enabling them to catch so many fish that they nearly sink the boats. These fishermen grow, they gain a new calling, and become fishers of men. The second incident I'd like to point out is the one we read today about the disciples being caught in the storm on Galilee. They are certain that they're going to drown, but Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. The disciples take a step forward, realizing that Jesus is no simple teacher and miracle worker. He can command the wind and the waves just like God. We read about their next storm experience a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. That's a story where they've been on the boat all night fighting the wind and the waves and Jesus has been on the shore and they see him walking on the water and Peter literally takes a step forward to grow as he tries to walk on the water too. The disciples grow again, making a bolder claim about Jesus. Matthew 14:33 tells me this, tells us this about their response and knowledge of Jesus. They say truly you are the son of God. I would mention one more Sea of Galilee story. This happens after the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. It happens in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, when we're told about some of the disciples, especially Peter. They have returned to fishing. Once again, 
They catch nothing. All night they're out fishing and they can't catch a thing. And Jesus appears and performs a miracle, causing them to have another miraculous catch of fish. This time the disciples are changed forever, and Peter is restored to Jesus and is commissioned to care for the church that is to come. Jesus uses these storms to test the disciples, and sometimes he uses storms to test you and me. It's worth noting that the disciples grow slowly through the story of the Gospels. We have quickly remembered four different stories about the Sea of Galilee, and each one is a step forward in the faith of the, of the disciples. These happen over a three-year period. It's okay to not have everything figured out when you're in the middle of the storm. It is enough to be willing to take one step forward with God at a time. Lastly, the, as far as the origins of storms and where they come from, Storms happen when we make a decision to head into danger or do something that's unwise. Ray Vanderland points out that the disciples were sailing across the Sea of Galilee away from the Jewish community and towards a pagan community. This journey in their minds is one that was going from an unholy place or going to an unholy place from a place where the people followed God. If you continue reading Luke's story, when they land, they encounter a demon-possessed man, possessed by so many demons that they're called legion. Jesus casts out these demons into a nearby herd of pigs, not something the Jewish people would have. Undoubtedly, as the disciples were sailing across the sea, they felt that the storm was a result of their heading to an unholy destination. Sometimes the storms of life are a result of our actions. Some are for noble purposes. That's what the ha is happening here with the disciples as they're following Jesus. They're obeying him. And I would remind you that whenever the good news of Jesus is delivered, there will be storms. Sometimes we step into storms foolishly, chasing something that we want but shouldn't have, especially if it's sinful. I have seen many people ask God why a hardship is allowed to be in their life when the reality is that that hardship was their own making. So where do storms come from? They come from many sources. Sometimes it's just natural. Sometimes it's the brokenness of this world. Sometimes they're intended to be a test. Sometimes storms erupt because of a decision we make, whether it's a good decision or not. Sometimes a storm is a combination of these, and sometimes uh, it's a combination of all of these, and that is what it looks like to be the case in our story today. The Sea of Galilee naturally has furious storms on it, and I think Jesus was testing his disciples, wanting them to understand where their faith was and to grow in their faith. And I think the storm was also a result of the disciples choosing to obey Jesus and head across the sea to fight a spiritual battle. Now, very quickly, I want to emphasize what storms of life can do. Because, yes, they happen. They have sources. They can be caused. But what do they actually do? I'd like to highlight just a few things real quickly. First, storms, they place us under stress. This we know, and I have yet to meet someone who truly likes to live in storms. I know some people who like a challenge, but no one likes to live in stress for too long. But when they place us under stress, they reveal who we are. I think this has happened during the pandemic we're in right now. Our reactions and our responses are revealing our maturity. For the Christian, it's revealing our Christ-likeness, or maybe our not-so-Christ-likeness. I have been blessed to see Christians rising to the occasion, seeking to help others, and to truly live as the hands and feet of Christ. And I've also seen Christians failing to be gracious to others, maybe being possessed by their fear or being full of anger. Have you been living with grace and the desire to see people restored to God, or have your actions and attitudes reflected poorly the name of Jesus Christ? 
So storms place us under stress to reveal who we are, but they also place us under stress to reveal where we have placed our faith. Storms show us where we have put our faith, and in Luke's account, it is very clear the disciples have placed their faith in the boat and its ability to float, in the skill of the professional fishermen, except for there's irony here. The fishermen are looking to a rabbi to save them from sinking. And the disciples have put their faith in who they thought Jesus was, not the reality of him as the Son of God. The disciples saw him as a teacher and as their master, but they did not know him as the one who rules over creations. And today we put our faith in all kinds of things that are not God. Thinking back to that story about Betsy on the plane ride, her faith was in God, but perhaps it was also placed in the importance of those three other passengers. I think during the pandemic right now, we're putting a tremendous amount of faith, sometimes rightly so, but sometimes not rightly so. We're putting faith in our doctors and in experts, in the government, or maybe not in the government. We're putting faith in our freedoms as Americans, or in our ability to battle sickness. What has the pandemic shown about where you put your faith? Is it in God, or have you been putting your faith somewhere else? So storms put pressure on us. They also do something else. They reveal the depth of our faith in Jesus. Whatever has you stressed at this time, whatever has you most stressed at this time, is a place where your faith is split between Jesus and the storm. Maybe you're stressed over having enough money or food in the pantry or perhaps even still toilet paper. Maybe you're stressed over your job security or you're stressed over your health and safety or you're stressed over your freedoms. Each is real and needs to be handed with skills and abilities that God has given us. But each also reveals the depth of our faith in Jesus. In those situations, are you saying, Lord, save us? Or are you angrily saying, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Or maybe you're showing little faith at all and you're simply saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown with little hope at all. Storms reveal the depth of our faith in Jesus. But storms also provide an opportunity to grow. Storms are scary, and I wish we never had to face them. And I do know that storms are as bad as the, I do know that storms, as bad as they are, can also be an opportunity for growth. There is no telling how often some of the disciples, as former fishermen, had been on the sea in a storm. It was very clear that they were powerless to deal with such forces, yet their faith was weak. Yet, though their faith was weak, they did the right thing in turning to Jesus for help. This, is what, um, this was a moment of growth for them. Only their cry that they were perishing was the mistake. And perhaps that's all we need to do, and that's the moment of growth that we need. That we would be willing to say, Lord, I don't know that I understand. I'm not even sure I'm going to make it through this, but I need your help. Would you be willing to do that, to ask Jesus for help, even if you feel like the disciples, uh, and even if you're feeling like the disciples in Mark's version of the story, when they say, teacher, don't you even care that we're drowning? I, I got to say that response is so real when we're feeling stressed and, and worried. It's even enough with your frustrations and doubts to begin by saying, Lord, I need your help. The last thing I would say about what storms do is they bring us to a moment of worship. And perhaps it's a worship that seems impossible. But that's what the disciples do. At the end of the story, they worship Jesus because they now see him as not just a teacher, but the one whom creation obeys. There's a story of a man named Horatio Spafford. 
He lived from 1828 to 1888. He was a Presbyterian layman from Chicago, and he had established a very successful legal practice and was a young businessman. Uh, and he was also a devout Christian. He had many close friends who were uh, evangelists, including Dwight Moody from Chicago. Spafford's fortune evaporated in the wake of the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. Having invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan's shoreline, he lost everything overnight. Shortly before that, he lost his son. But the worst was yet to come. During desiring rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing to join Dwight Moody in one of his evangelistic campaigns in Great Britain, Spafford planned a European trip for his family. In November of that year, due to unexpected last-minute business developments, he had to remain in Chicago, but he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead as scheduled. If they had purchased the, the tickets, they were going to go on the journey, he would just meet up with them a few days later. On November 22nd, the ship that his wife and daughters were on was struck by an English vessel and it sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, the survivors were finally landed at Cardiff, Wales, and Mrs. Spafford cabled her husband, and the cable, the message said just simply this, saved alone. That meant the daughters were lost. Spafford left immediately to join his wife. I can't imagine what that journey must have been life, been like. It had to be a lonely, grief-filled journey. And in the spot where he thought that the ship had gone down and his daughters perished, he spoke these words that he had penned on this journey. The words to him that many of you know well, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Two questions are asked in our story. First, Jesus asks the disciples, where is your faith? Only by locating your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, can you turn the ugliest storms of life into moments of growth and worship. And that's what Horatio Spafford did. The disciples asked the second question, Who is this that the wind and the waves should obey him? Who Jesus is matters, and who you believe Jesus is matters. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just a teacher or a miracle worker or a guy who makes us happy and feel good. The disciples had to realize that Jesus in the boat with them was the same as the God who is described in Psalm 121. I'd like to read that psalm for you now. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The person you have in the boat with you, or perhaps on the plane with you, matters. Have you invited Jesus, the one who neither slumbers or sleeps, to be with you in the storm? Let us pray. Lord, 
We are all in storms right now. We have worries and fears and uncertainties that we face. Help us to grow while we are in these storms. In this moment, we cry out, Lord, save us, for only you can. Help us to remember, whatever struggle we face, you watch over us. You are in our storm with us, and that is all that matters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go with Jesus.